0: you would, take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, and one member Be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show, show I unto you a more excellent way. The title of the message this morning is The Work of the Spirit in the Lord's Church. The Work of the Spirit in the Lord's Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, would you give us wisdom and understanding and clarity in the preaching and the declaring of thy truth this morning, and that the Spirit of God would take his word and open our minds and hearts that we might receive the truth. Lord, we do pray as being in our midst this morning who have never truly been born again, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and open their understanding and reveal that to them so they might know the truth and be set free from the burden of sin. And for the, your children, I pray that you just give understanding and wisdom and help us to apply your word to our everyday life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you know, have been the subject of many false teachings throughout history. Of course, it's here that charismatics and Pentecostals seek support for the use of tongues in healings and so on. Why anybody would want to brag them or pride themselves in thinking things that the Corinthian church did is beyond me. But of all the churches in the New Testament that were. Uh, called carnal, or as carnal, it was Corinth, you know, so you, wanting to pattern something after cor, Corinth was, to me, it's kind of foolish. But anyway, it is also here in chapter 12, verse 13, that fundamentalism seeks its support for what they call spirit baptism into the, quote, universal church, unquote, or as they call the universal church, the body of Christ. But if we are going to take the passage in its context, in the context of the whole Bible, and common grammatical sense, without an allegorical interpretation, then we must conclude that the sign gifts, according to these chapters, have ceased, tongues have ceased, and the universal church theory is exactly that a theory of men. What is being emphasized in these chapters, of course, is the working of the Holy Spirit in the churches, and particularly in the church at Corinth. And that's the context here, and, and it would be in our church, even in our day. You know, the Spirit of God, we looked at last week, is the one that, that gives gifts, and of course, the gifts that most of them have talked about here are gifts that have passed away. We'll see that next week. But, but what we will see is the work of the Spirit in the Lord's churches. And so. To begin with I have three three points here this morning and some subpoints. First of all, the identity of the body of Christ and we looked a little bit at this on Wednesday or Thursday evenings. In verse 12 it says for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. Now, the, Paul is using here under inspiration to to illustrate the church, he's using a human body. Your body is one, and yet your body has many members or many parts to it. And, and all those members, all those parts, make up a complete body. You don't need somebody else's body parts to complete yours. Your body is complete without somebody else's body parts. And, and the same is true of a church. Uh, you know the body functions, and you know, the body functions as one, and again with many parts, and uh, and those parts cannot function without the body. Think of that: the parts cannot function without the body. You know, a Christian really can't function without a church. Scripturally, he can't. He's without a purpose. He's without a mission, because the mission, the commission, has been given to the churches. He is working for himself. You know, as as far as the body is concerned, if you cut off part of your body and let it try to function by itself, it's going to die. It's dead. Let that sink in a little bit. And so the body of Christ, as we consider what the body of Christ is, again, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote this letter to the church of God at Corinth. And then here in 12, chapter 12, verse 12, he talks about the one body, so also is Christ. And in verse 27, he goes on to say, Ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So you are a body of Christ, and, you're the, and you have individual parts of that body, and each member of that body makes up a part of that body, just like your human body has arms, legs, and parts that make up a complete body. Uh, we see also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, in, verse, in, in chapter 2, verse 10, that he declares very plainly that a church is the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And then in chapter 2, he tells the church at Colossae, And ye are complete in him. In other words, you are a complete body by yourself. You're a complete body of Christ. You're a complete church. You don't have to have all the other churches that are around you to complete you. To complete your body. You know, in Christ, of course. You know, it says so also. Christ, Christ is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's uh, He's in, in every one of His bodies because He is omnipresent. He's God. We see this in Revelation chapter 1, in verse 20, and then chapter 2, verse 1, where in uh, Revelation 1, verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now he's addressing here these seven churches, and he talks about the seven golden candlesticks, which he describes in chapter 1, verse 20, as the seven churches. And these seven churches are in different locations. And he says, I'm walking in the midst of these seven churches. So, Christ is always in the midst of His churches. So, therefore, according to the Word of God, a body of Christ is one of His churches. It's a local, visible church. After all, a body is something you see, It's it's what of me that you see. It's my body. You don't see my soul, and you don't see my spirit. You might see expressions of my soul and spirit, but you will not see my soul and spirit. It's like the wind. We can see the wind. We can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. But we can see the body. So, a body of Christ is the church. I want you to notice. Secondly, the spirit leads to leads a person a person that gets saved leads a person to a body of Christ. Notice verse thirteen. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have it all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, what throws most people for a loop, and fundamentalists build their doctrine on, is the Spirit, uh, what they call Spirit baptism, and and, it's, and of course they say that we're all baptized by the Spirit into the body or the universal church. Um. Whatever that is, you know. So we're in this invisible gathering. How do you call it a gathering? Do you when you when there's a gathering? Can you see it? I mean, uh, how do you describe that thing? Um. Anyway, you know that's they you're you're into all the fam- what the Bible calls the family of God. Actually, you know, save people all over the world, and that's the universal church. That's what they call the universal church. And we're, by the Spirit of God, we're baptized into it. This is a doctrine that fundamentalists, and uh, this is what they build their doctrine on, called spirit baptism. And, but, but we're not, it's not, doesn't mean here that we are baptized by the Spirit. Bat- spirit doesn't baptize. Spirit leads. We need to define a few terms. For by means, in this passage, means, of that which either leads or brings, or with which he is furnished or equipped, to be in the power of, to be actuated by, inspired by. So let's read it that way. The one which leads into the body. That's really what this is saying. The spirit is the one who leads us into a body. You know, when we get saved, as we mentioned Thursday night, when we get saved, we enter the kingdom of God. We are, John 3, 5 says, except he mourn, be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the moment you get saved, you have entered into the kingdom of God. You're translated from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the family of Satan. You're translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians tells us. But that spirit that, that takes residence in our life leads us or influences us or activates us to join a body. To join a body of Christ. That's what this passage is teaching. He said again it means for by means of that which either leads or brings with him. So let's let's Let's, let's, let's look at this a little bit deeper. I'll notice two things here as we think about this and about the work of the Holy Spirit in the relation to this. First of all, the Holy Spirit identified Jesus Christ as the salvation of God. Now, and I'm going somewhere with this, so, so hang on. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. I want you to follow this through. First John chapter 5 verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> it says, 1 John 5, 6 and 7 says, This is he that came by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, Jesus said the Spirit would bear witness, testify of Him. He would not not glorify Himself, but He would glorify Christ. He's going to testify of Christ. And the Bible says here, the Spirit that beareth witness. What the, the Spirit of God did was bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ. He identified, He is the one who identified that Jesus is the salvation of God. He came by, as it says here, by water and the blood. The word water here means it's a terse expression, or in other words, a concise expression for, that he publicly appeared and approved himself to be God's son and ambassador by accomplishing expiation through the ordinance of baptism and the bloody death which he underwent. So the word water here in this passage refers to water baptism. And, of course, the blood refers to the blood that was shed. And, again, it's defined as a terse or concise expression that he publicly appeared and proved himself to be God's Son through baptism and the shedding of his blood. And, again, the Spirit of God identified or signified to John the Baptist who Jesus was. Go to to, uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we'll see this. John chapter 1 and verse 31. <clears throat> John 1.31 says, and this is John the Baptist. These are the words of John the Baptist. I knew him not, but, he, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, wherefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit, here's the Spirit bearing witness, or signifying, who Jesus is. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it bowed upon him, that is upon Jesus, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. See, John was looking for the Messiah. He was looking for the Son of God revealed. He had been told he's going to be revealed. And the Lord told him, I'm going to give you a sign. Whomever you baptize and you see the Spirit of God descending on, that is He. And every gospel records this account. That when Jesus, when John baptized Jesus, The Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove and abode upon him. And then there also came this voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus, in his baptism, the Spirit of God identified him for who he is and revealed him to the world. That's why John then declared. Actually, he declared this. Of course, you know, he's, he's, you know, this is not in chronological order here, the way it happened. But in verse 29, he says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away that's in sin of the world. He had already baptized him. And he's telling us later then what, what happened. So John was told by the Lord that the Savior, or who is referred to as the salvation of God, would be revealed when he baptized him. And so this, this, this baptism... Is a public declaration. Jesus' baptism was a public declaration by God, and the Spirit bearing witness that this is the Son of God. And you know that's what He does with us. The Holy Spirit leads us to publicly identify with Christ by entrance into His church. Again, verse 13. For as, for by one Spirit, or under the leadership, we might say, of the Spirit, we are all all baptized into the body of Christ, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink into one Spirit. And the word baptized, the word baptized here is referring to water baptism. It's through water baptism that we identify as a child of God. We publicly testify to the world that I am now a child of God. I have received the salvation of God, and I'm declaring it to the world that I am a child of God. Just as Jesus was publicly declared to be the salvation of God and the Spirit bearing witness at His baptism, and, and, so, and when we are baptized... Yet the Holy Spirit leads us to identify publicly as sons of God, as being buried with Him by baptism as a death, and then like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, just as no man can say, as 1 Corinthians 12 3 tells us, no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the leading or the conviction of the Holy Ghost, so the Holy Ghost leads us to identify with the Lord by membership into a Baptist church, through baptism. It is a public declaration that I have received the salvation of God. Romans 8.14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, not all churches are New Testament churches. To have biblical baptism requires a biblical church. We have to ask, is it pure in doctrine or Baptist in doctrine? Was it started by someone sent out by church or just a freelance preacher? Was it by immersion or dipping? Or was it after salvation? And so, when we look at verse 13, it simply means that the Spirit of God leads us To identify ourselves with Christ's body. Because really what you're saying, when you got baptized, what you're saying is, I'm becoming a part. I'm going to become the arm, or the foot, or the mouth, or the ears of Christ's body in this location. That's what baptism is. You're joining yourselves to a body of Christ. Just like your arm is part of your own body. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us, according to His Word, to that place. It's the Holy Spirit that. Brings conviction in our lives and bring us to repentance and faith in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that ought to lead us every day of our life. And so He's going to lead us in obedience to the word of God and join ourselves with a New Testament church. So the Spirit leads to a body of Christ or church. Thirdly, we see also the Spirit promotes unity in the body. Notice the end of verse 13. The end of verse 13, I'll just read the whole verse, it says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Notice this. Whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. One spirit. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile. do not matter whether you're a slave or a free man. And we, you know, we, we don't really quite understand those, that terminology in our day and time, but it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or poor, or whether you're rich or middle class. We'd all be considered probably middle class. So, but it doesn't matter what, what your standing is in society, where you work, what position you may have, in the community, what color your skin is, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What your gender is, it doesn't matter. It's one spirit. It's one spirit. There's one body. You know, you might say it this way, way you know, we're all to be drinking from the same well. You know, I counted nine times in this chapter that some, some, some words use something like this. Same spirit, or same Lord, or same God. Nine times in this chapter. See, there is only one spirit. One Holy Spirit. I mean, there's many spirits out there, but there's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one God, the Father. There's only one. And there's only one body. That's the body of Christ. There's only one baptism. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, where it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering for bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how do you keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, it's very simple. There's one body, which is a church, there's one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And you know, if we're all submitted to that same Spirit, and we're all following that same Lord, and we're all obedient to that same Word, are we going to disagree? Will there be schisms in our church? You know, if we receive, we are, you know, we are to receive, we are to receive nourishment from the same body. We're baptized into one body. You know, one of the reasons for the divisions at Corinth was their lack of obedience to their leadership. Look at First Corinthians chapter one, verses eleven through thirteen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, My question I would like to ask is, who have they been following or who should they be following? Paul was not there. Peter was not there. Apollos was not there. They had, remember, they had no means of communication other than letters. And Pony Express would make them look really bad as far as delivery time. They didn't have... Gmail and, you know, and 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 uh, uh, and you know um, Skype and all this stuff that we have today. They had no means of communication. So who should they be following? Go to First Corinthians chapter sixteen. First Corinthians sixteen. Remember, Paul spent a year and a half at Corinth, and in that year and a half, he set up some leadership. First Corinthians 16 verse 15 says, I beseech you brethren, you know the house of Stephanas, it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That you submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us, and laboreth. You see, Paul had left them with a pastor whom they were not submitting to. Instead, they were fighting about Instead of following their Stephanus, they would say, Well, I'm, I'm Paul's disciple. And I'm Peter's disciple. And I'm Paul's disciple. And so they had this bickering between themselves, and none of them were following the pastor of the body. By the way, who was one of the ones that came to Paul? Apostles had authority beyond pastors. We don't have any apostles today, but apostles had authority beyond pastors. In fact, they appointed the pastors. Paul says, look, you need to submit yourselves to Stephanus. He's addicted himself. That word addicted means he has consecrated himself to the ministry of the saints. You see, the members of the body are to receive nourishment from the body itself. Look at verses 14, chapter 12 again, in verses 14 through 17. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were hearing, the eye, wherever the hearing, if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Now, so the foot can't say, Well, I'm not the hand, so I'm not in the body. So I don't have to submit to the body. And I don't have to get my nourishment from the body. What's gonna happen to the foot? It's gonna die. It's gonna die. So you can decide all of a sudden, well, I don't want to listen to that preacher. I don't want to listen to being taught that body. You know what you're doing? You're cutting off your life source. This is a serious thing. Paul wrote Timothy and told him the body, the church, is the pillar and ground of truth. You know, Proverbs has an interesting statement. Proverbs 14, 15, 14, 5, 14, 15 says, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation assembly. And he says this drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own. Well, see, a New Testament church is like a well of water that's life giving. The schism or division came because they failed to follow that one Holy Spirit and the one body. You know, in chapter three, Paul said, "You are as carnal, you're fleshly, you're yielding to the old nature and not the Spirit of God." according to the word of God, as, as they had been taught. They were prideful, self-centered, critical. Five times he told them they were puffed up. Why? Because they were not following the spirit of God as he led in their own body with their own pastor. You see, we are to receive nourishment from the same body. I want you to notice the third thing here? All members of the body have a purpose. Look at verse 18. But now hath God set the members—that'd be the individual parts—every one of them in the body as it hath pleased Him. If they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, "I have no need of thee." Nor again the head to the feet, "I have no need of you." Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, and one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, we understand that there are parts of our bodies that may not be considered vital organs. But they do have a purpose, and just so you know, none of us are the head of this body. None of us, including myself, Christ is the head. Is to be the head of the body. Ephesians five twenty three says the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior. Of the body Again, Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. But some have more vital part in the body than others. But also with that part is more responsibility. <coughs> but all are important. You know, sometimes people get the idea. You may get the idea. Well, I just don't contribute much. I mean... I just work a job. You know, I do faithfully ten. Do you ever wonder why you have a job? Why do you have a job? Biblically, why do you have a job? Ephesians 4.28 4, gives us an answer. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more. So if you didn't have a job, how would you survive? You'd steal. I mean, you can go on welfare. That's stealing. It's just proved. What you're doing is taken from somebody else so that you can live. No, let him that stole steal no more, but let him, let him labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So there's two reasons for working. To live, supply your own needs. It's God's method, but also to give. Now, there may be some of you who will never be in the limelight at Lighthouse Baptist Church, but you can greatly impact this body through praying, through giving. If it weren't for giving, we wouldn't have a church. There wouldn't be a church. Now, it's not something that's seen per se, but you know, is your heart seen? You know, your heart's not the best-looking part of your body. It's kind of gruesome. It's bloody. But you think you could live without it? Other, you know, well, how about your hair? Well, that's the part that makes me look handsome, even though I'm losing it. (laughs) But you know what? Do I really need it? Would it affect really the rest of my body all that much? I mean, it might affect my self consciousness. You know, it might affect my self esteem. Uh, you know, if I lost all my hair, I'd just shave it off. Uh, you know, but do, do, do I need my hair? It's all about appearance. That's what hair is. It's all about appearance. That's what you're, when he says our comely parts, comely means uh, pleasing in appearance. And he says, "Our comely parts have no need. Your appearance is not the most important thing. You know, it's getting back to the giving part." was a retired pastor who could not believe how much money this body gives to missions. Our faith promise for this year was $32,000. That's more than $1,000 per person that attends, including Mia. Do you know why those missionaries are on the board back there and you know why they're in foreign countries? Because people like you give so they can take the gospel where you can't go, where you've not been called to go. But they go so that you can obey the command that God has given you to go into all the world, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. I don't know about you, but that'll excite you. Because you're bearing fruit in Taiwan, in Greenland, in, in Portugal, in the Arctic, in New England, in Mexico. You're bearing fruit in all those places. In Russia. I'm trying to think, who do I miss? Someone said... Money will get us to the field, but prayer will keep us there. You know, praying is important. So, you know, we could say, do you pray? Do you give? Do you witness? Do you realize that you are helping this body fulfill the Great Commission? You don't have to be in the limelight. To have a great impact. It was people like the church at Philippi that enabled Paul to take the gospel to other parts. And he says, this will abound to your account. Your account. You know, there are parts that seem more important than others, but every part has a purpose and is needed. You know, giving really is the heart of ministry. The Lord gave himself, we give ourselves. And the Spirit of God is the one that sets. You notice again verse 18 and verse 28. But now hath God set the members, everyone in the body, as it hath pleased him. And then again verse 28. And God hath set some in the church he's talking about the offices and the, and the ministerial gifts here. So, so it's God that sets the members in the body, everyone that says, please him. God has, you know, whatever part you play in this body, God has set you there. God has a purpose for you there. And desires to use you in that part. There may be people that, it, because in, in the world that you associate with and the people you meet, that I will never see, that I will never meet. That Brother will, will never meet, and Dave will never meet, but you will meet, and you can be a witness if you allow the Spirit of God to use you where you are. If you allow the Spirit of God to teach you where you are. You see, it's the Spirit of God that works in His churches. It's He that leads in His churches. and So, is He leading in your life? Or are you trying to serve the Lord independent of His leading? You know, He leads through His Word and through His churches. You in Acts chapter 13, there were some men... At Antioch. And the Bible says, As they fasted and ministered to the Lord, the Spirit said, Separate me, Saul and Barnabas, for the ministry where unto I have called them. And when they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. You see, these men were being led by the Spirit of God. Through his word. And the Spirit of God impressed them. You know, there's a world out there beyond Antioch that needs the gospel that we have. And they, in obedience to the Spirit of God, said, we need to send these men. Oh, uh, I, I want to keep Paul here. I want to stay right here. No, we need to go where the Spirit of God leads us. So are we, are we allowing him to lead us? Or are we trying to serve the Lord on our own way? If you are, may you surrender your will to his this morning and allow him to lead in your life.